Hello, Desert Linda. How are you? Oh, I'm just so ever so good. How are you out there in the sandy town? I'm good. I am uh, whew, sitting on my butt. I did a little hike. It'd be weird to be sitting on something else. I mean, I could be sitting on a cacti. But your butt on a cacti, surely. Yes. Did you say you did a run? Uh, yeah. Wow, look at you, exercise lady out there. I did a hike. There's this beautiful, beautiful... There are very few places that you're actually able to take dogs around here. Um, like, all of Joshua Tree National Park is closed to puppies, which is sad. Um, but there's this one, like, Mojave uh, Desert Wildlife Refuge area that is dog-friendly, as long as you keep them on a leash and keep them safe. And um, I took Lenny out there. Is it normal for national parks to be entirely dogs prohibited? I don't know. I feel like some of them, for sure, because like the whole thing was that there are wild like sheep and stuff, and they want to make sure that doggies don't scare the wildlife away. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But I mean... All the human beings are pretty bad for it, too, so... Humans are pretty scary. In my experience, humans are a little scarier than dogs, but your mileage may vary. But when we were out in the Mojave area, um, we saw coyotes. Ooh, coyote. Coyotes. Those are really small, right? They're much smaller than you would expect them to be. They're, like, pretty tiny. Well, the coyotes out here were uh, sizable. Oh, they were more like like wolf sized. They're pretty big. Little miniature wolves. Yeah, wolves. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm good. Uh, just getting ready for my class, which starts tomorrow, which is uh, which is oh, very yay! exciting. So that's a thing. Oh that's gosh. happening. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about that curriculum. I'm not sure what else. I mean, we could talk about it if you want. It also could be kind of boring. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we get to that. But I'm excited about that. We got we got a lot of snow here the past few days. It was a very beautiful, snowy weekend. So, you missed out on that out in your, your desert getaway. Yeah, I saw all that. Jealous. So, that's the thing. I also, uh, I, I think since we last spoke, the... James Webb Space Telescope has been fully expanded and extended and, and locked into place, so there's no, uh, there's nothing else that can go wrong mechanically there, at least, or at least, you know, nothing else predictably can go wrong mechanically. So now, that's a positive. A memory, do you have a memory of when the Hubble um, deployed and then like one of the mirrors was installed backwards? So. I was talking about this with somebody recently, and my memory of this... Well, first of all, I have no memory of it when I was a kid, because I was too young to be paying any attention to anything at all other than my Legos. So I have no memory of it actually happening. But Got as it. a young adult, you know, let's say in college, like, you know, 10, 12 years ago or whatever, I remember reading about the Hubble and, you know, just being shocked at... My memory of the mistake with the Hubble was that they had ground a lens incorrectly because of a metric to imperial conversion that was not made oh. or made incorrectly. Uh, and it turns out that is what happened. I thought what they did was regrind a whole new lens, fly it up and put it in the telescope. But that is not what they did because that's basically impossible. That would cost a quadrillion dollars. What they instead did was just uh, change, like make a little piece of hardware or something that would just like account for the fact that the lens was ground incorrectly. And they installed this little oh. like computer chippy thing basically when they went up to fix the Hubble after it done, done did wrong. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I thought that they had, like, put in the wrong lens or put it in backwards and then 
they were like, oh, let's go do a spacewalk and correct it. Yeah, I thought it was they had replaced the whole lens, but I think it was just that they were like, oh, the lens is wrong. We can't fix that, so we instead have to fix something about the image sensor to account for the fact that the lens is wrong. Is God. is my new understanding of it, having reread the Wikipedia page within the last six months and trying to, uh, in talking about the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, part of the, so I guess I guess what it comes down to with Hubble is that, you know, they can't really test the microscope on, or the microscope, the telescope on the ground, right? Because the whole point of Hubble is right. that it's not in the atmosphere. And so all of its optical everything is designed to work in, you know, pretty near to the vacuum of space. Right. So given that, I guess you can't test anywhere. <laughs> Excuse me. <sighs> God bless. Mm, dad sneeze. Um, so yeah, like, like it seems silly that they wouldn't have caught that error, right? But at the same time, you're building a telescope to be used in a place where we had up to that point, to my understanding, never used a telescope before. So I right. guess some unforeseen things happening is to be expected. My understanding of the James Webb, though, is that the way it's built is that it's built basically fundamentally on a design level to preclude any kind of problem like that because of all the calibration that's happening over the next five or six months. Like it's basically impossible for them to have made a mistake uh, in their assumptions because everything is completely adjustable about it. All the mirrors and there's like the, the 18 main hexagonal mirrors made of beryllium coated in gold. And then there's like oh, wow. four other steering mirrors before it finally gets the image sensor. There's like the main conical, not conical, the main uh, con, con, convex collection mirror at the point of the arm in the middle of the satellite. And then there's three other mirrors inside of the actual instrument array that are all separately adjustable and all steering mirrors basically so that no matter what happens, uh, they can definitely get it calibrated correctly, which is good. Well, that's great. And, you know, I guess they designed a whole new kind of telescope just for space, right? Like, we don't have any telescopes that are that function like the James Webb on the ground, I don't think. Yes, so, why would we? So, uh, yeah, designing... That, that's a great example to me of, like, fundamental design assumptions being wrong, where, like, the Hubble... Again, my rudimentary understanding of the Hubble is that it basically is like, take a regular ground telescope, put it in the atmosphere... And then we can point it at stuff. And yeah. it turns out that was hard and also had unforeseeable problems that we messed up and had to like redo in space at great expense. And actually, if you like completely rethink what a telescope even is, you come with you come, you come up with something closer to like the James Webb, which is like a whole different thing, you know? Got it. I don't know. I'm really so, I'm really so talking cool. out of my ass here, Linda. I don't know about these things. I love it. Keep talking out of your butt. We I was at a party. Uh, over the weekend, which is so a rare, party. so rare to be at a party. But Even I was at a party, and one of the uh, one of the women at the party works on the James Webb here in Baltimore. She mm. works at the Space Telescope Science Institute, and uh, was was like a VIP. Was invited to their big launch party they had to cancel because of COVID. You know all that kind of stuff. Oh, they had to cancel their launch party because of COVID. I'm sure there were a lot of different launch parties, but yeah, the one oh. where they like invited everybody that worked on it and they were all going to go hang out and party, they were like, oh, oh. we can't do that because of Omicron. Well, that's excruciating because it's like how many years project? Like 20 years? Uh, in the a long time. She also told me a very funny tidbit, which I didn't realize, which is that, you know, the launch was pushed back a lot. Uh, but then even in the last like six months, the launch was pushed back many, many times. They had many other dates along the way due to a whole bunch of circumstances, right? Like weather and, you know, just coordinating a bunch of things. And 
they said apparently like six months before the launch date, like, all right, well, here's, you know, the potential launch dates we have over the next six months. You know, the only one we're blacking out for sure is Christmas Day. We don't want to launch on Christmas Day. And then, of course, every other date failed and they ended up launching on Christmas Day, which I think is very funny. As soon as you say, as soon as you say, this is the one date we're not going to launch, you've kind of sealed it at that point. That's the date you're going to launch, you know? Exactly. Well, I thought that that was like some like, cheesy like cute thing that they had done like oh, a christmas gift to the I'm planet i'm pretty sure that they didn't want to be working on christmas if they could avoid it <laughs> if i could if i could guess i was like when i was watching that on christmas day though i was like this might be like the one christmas of a lifetime where you're like daddy has to work but that's really okay right it's a lot better than like those uh those football teams that play every christmas is it uh the Ugh. bears and the packers i guess i always thought that sucked that seems so stupid so yeah dumb. Exactly. i mean well football is all stupid all the way down but especially stupid that you know for the entertainment of uh of a bunch of drunk dudes you just are gonna take all these people away from their families on christmas day and those families don't have families wow we were dr- deep linda we were fucking deep, deep dude we were- we were driving by. Uh, I'm gonna fill up a bowl of water for my dog real quick. We Are you just that? announcing that so it doesn't sound like you're taking a piss while you're talking to me? Some ASMR, right there. I find the <laughs> phrase "taking a piss" to be vulgar. I love swearing, but I don't like saying "taking a piss." It sounds ugh, yucky. Yeah. Ew, gross. But anyways, we were driving by an airport and we saw one of the jets for like the Arizona football team. Mm. Yeah. It you're was confused, The Jets are based out of New York. Ha ha! Bada bing! <laughs> drum roll, not drum roll. Uh, rim shot. So that's the one. So I pointed it out to my niece. It was like, see, the whole football team goes in there, and she was like, "Do you think my soccer team will have an airplane someday?" And it was very cute. There were jokes about how like the mom's minivan has really upgraded, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, is she at an age where she makes jokes like consciously tries to make other people laugh with jokes? Uh, yeah, but she's not, like, obnoxious about it. Oh, yeah. To be, to be clear, well, I, I find that to be a very endearing trait. I would be uh, I would be very excited for a kid to be making jokes at me. Well, I feel like some kids, like, they'll learn the concept of a knock-knock joke, and then they're like, knock-knock, and you're like, who's there? And they're like, door. And they're like, door who? And they're like, doorbell. Even that is pretty advanced. I feel like I've had kids be like, <laughs> knock-knock, who's there? Poopy! And then just laughter. Just a- endless yeah. laughter. And it's like, that's not even the construction. You didn't even yeah, finish the joke. Yeah, it's funny, like, the first time, but then after that, you're like, okie dokie, let's move on from the knock-knocks. Yeah. Um, yeah, she just, like, finds things funny. She, um, her and my sister were here all weekend, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And they've now They're left. Like, you are back on your lonesome. Yes, their flight was supposed to be yesterday out of Palm Springs, but it was canceled because of all the inclement weather out on the East Coast. And so they stayed an extra day and we went to L.A. for the day. Whoa. That was so fun. We took the kid to Santa Monica Pier and uh, we drove through Malibu. It was really like a Cali girl yesterday. Very cool of you. Yeah. It was so fun, though. It was so good to see them. My, I don't know about you, but my, these are the people in my life who like ground me the most. Like, I'd be curious to hear your people, who who those people are for you. Well, it's definitely Hillary, and then it's. I would say it's definitely my closest friends. My um, my like two three buddies that I've been working with for my entire career, and went to high school with two of them, and college with one of them. I feel like that is my like home base default state. Yeah. Like, 
Like, I love my family. A lot of them listen to this podcast. I love you dearly. But, like, seeing family is, like, a, it's a thing. You know, I got to get, like, I got to, like, build up to it. It's like, takes a little bit of mental and emotional energy, you know. Right. My, my like, my default resting state is just with uh, with those close friends of mine. And honestly, a couple of our neighbors are becoming that close to me as well. Which, oh, wow. I think the proximity helps there, too. It's like, they are literally just around all the time, which yeah. which starts to make that default state feel more natural but feels more like fam fam but yeah i would say that's where i feel most grounded i guess i guess i'm not even really sure how that how to describe that like what do you mean by grounded exactly like i don't know it's like my if i need a hard reset i'm guaranteed to get it if i go see my sister and my niece i guess i don't know where i get a hard reset from yeah but i also like because it sounds to me like it's important that you don't see them a lot in order for them to be a hard reset. Like if you live next door to them, your relationship with them would probably change and it wouldn't be like, yes, every day at 4 p.m. It's a hard reset. <laughs> no, I think I would just feel more like grounded all the time. Oh, really? When I, lived, when I lived in Atlanta, I think I always kind of had a different, stronger sense of who I am, where I am in this world. And I think that moving really far away and being around totally different people who like don't have all of the context of my whole entire life. Um, it's just different. Yeah. It's like over time, if too much time goes by, I start to kind of like lose touch with that foundation. Um, and so, yeah, for me, like I like to go home like every three or four months just to check in and it makes me feel really, I don't know, just recentered, I guess. See, I know that I practically have, like, roots in where I grew up, but I don't feel like there is some part of me that, like, I've lost touch with because I moved away and met new people and had new experiences. Like, I feel like I grew and changed a lot and all for the better, and there's not, like, a thing I'm missing that I want to return to about growing up in the suburbs or whatever. Or even, like, the people I was around at that point. Though, again, like I said, I'm still spent a lot of time around a couple of my close friends from high school. So in some ways, uh, I guess that's yeah. kind of an ongoing stability thing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess in that sense of grounding, I've always felt like I have made that for myself, like not gotten it externally, but like made an effort to ground myself constantly. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like less about a place and it's more about the people. Cause yeah, Laura and Carson came out here. And I totally felt it. It's, I don't know. It's just because I can totally be myself, I think. And if I'm, like, feeling kind of, like, crummy and on my period and cranky, you can just say that. And, like, you don't have to be on. And you don't have to, like... Do you not say that with your other friends? Well, I do. But it's still, like, there's still a slight twinge of, like, I need to be present in this moment with this person. And, like, I need to be a little bit on and a little bit engaged. Huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I feel that a little more like with my family. Like my family's here. I'm like, all right, I got to be like, you know, functional person for a while. I can't just like veg out and do nothing. We have to like, you know, have activities and do stuff together. Uh, and it's just with like Hillary and the dog or whatever that I'm like time to just do nothing and totally be myself. I yeah. Guess. Oh, yeah. Well, I have that with Mark, but I suppose. Anyway, but yeah, it was just it was really nice to see them and to have them out here and we did some Joshua tree hikes and took that kid on a four mile hike and she did great. She didn't freak out or anything. Nice. That's a long way on little legs. Yeah. Yeah. She did really awesome. 
How so, else yeah. you, uh, so did you basically, it was last week basically just like getting ready for your sister and niece's arrival? Did you feel like you were kind of awaiting that and in that liminal space? Or do you feel like you got into deep Linda desert mode last week? Yeah, I think I got into deep Linda desert mode and was just adjusting. Like my brain has definitely slowed down, chilled out. I'm a little bit like, bleh. But like in a good way. How are you spending yeah. your days then when you're in deep lit a desert mode? What are you what are you doing? How are you filling well, those I mean, hours? I had to work, so I'm waking up at like five thirty every morning. Ah, uh, I love doing that. I love going to the West Coast and just uh staying on my East Coast schedule and being like, It's it, not jet lag. Now I'm a functional morning person. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. So every day I've gotten up at five thirty without an alarm and I just like I don't know, I sit in this little front room and I watch the sun come up and I drink coffee and then maybe I'll go for a little hike and then work begins and I do my work and then I'll maybe go for another little hike and then it's dark and I go to bed. It's much simpler. I'm not really like, you know, packing it to the brim with activities. It's more just kind of like being here and being in my thoughts and being okay with that. That sounds lovely. Yeah. I have a couple of other buddies coming tomorrow, though. And um, they'll be here tomorrow night. A packed schedule, I think. I mean, in terms of guests, at least. Like, you got a lot of people, a lot of people coming to visit you. Yeah, and I think, like, I was kind of surprised that everyone came for this, like, first half of the trip and, like, you know, I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe like a weekend here and a weekend there. But I think you'll have longer wants- stretches of solitude for the second half of the trip. Yeah, I mean, Mark will probably be here and then we'll I'll, I'll be in solitude with him. But yeah, you know, that doesn't count. That's different. Well, I know, but I can't tell my partner to stay away for <laughs> that much longer. I mean, you definitely it. can if you want. That's a conversation you can have. You can you can I, you can make that request and uh, and have that negotiation. Yeah, I haven't it's had alone time like that in f- so long. I mean, certainly not in the past three years at all. Um, I know, but even before that, I very rarely have any kind of alone time. So very nice. I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing I need or miss. I have no, like, I don't feel really? a desire to like go be alone anywhere. But maybe I would feel differently if I did it. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I like I scheduled this trip after I came out here with my girlfriends, and I spent like half of a day by myself, and I was like, "Ooh, this." I want this that feeling. Like, I'm chasing that feeling. I would like to come back to this now. So yeah. What's going on in your world this week? Oh, just get ready for this class. Um, I'm excited oh, yeah, about it. About it, ended up being, it ended up being a really small class, which I'm thrilled about. There's only nine students, I think, maybe a tenth uh, oh, based on the great. roster. So it's a really tiny little class. And actually, weirdly, so this is like a, a core course, right? It's GD2. And given that it is the spring semester, that is when every single graphic design major in the entire major will be taking GD2 if it's a sophomore. Uh, so I expected it to be, you know, like 15 or 16 students and pretty much all sophomore graphic design majors. But for whatever reason, my section is like very diverse. I've got one freshman who I believe is a transfer student. I've got like uh, a couple seniors, a junior or two. I've got people from all different majors. So it's like a very cool little interdisciplinary group. 
And uh, I'm excited about that. I'm glad the class is small, more opportunities for like one-on-one time and that kind of stuff. I um, Did I tell you last time we talked that I was going to run a little, send a little survey out to them before the class began? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, I um I sent them all a little survey, which asked them, you know, basic questions like, you know, what do you want me to call you, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then mm-hmm. also included stuff like, how do you normally like to learn with some like multiple choice questions and things like that? How much do you prefer in-person classes versus being remote through Zoom, which is going to be some percentage of the semester for sure because of Delta because of COVID. Um Stuff like that, and uh, like what software, what software are you currently comfortable using? Those, those kinds of questions, and uh, I feel like I learned a lot from doing that, which changed how I'm going to structure the course. Mostly, you know, my memory of being in the graphic design program eleven years ago and change was that most courses were, you know, you get an assignment, you go home and you do it, and then class time is like ninety percent just the whole class critiquing everyone's work, right? Walk around the room, talk about everyone's work, and that's the method by which people learn. But pretty much everybody I sent this survey to said they do not like full class critiques and want no full class critiques. So uh, that was an unexpected result, but uh, I'm glad to have done the survey because I'm just going to structure everything in sort of small group critiques, do all the critiques in like, you know, little batches of students instead of the whole class, which, you know, if that's people prefer, I'm happy to do it. So I'm doing that. Yeah. And then the uh, the other thing that I had the like revelation of, which I'm excited about, is I'm just going to teach this entire class in Figma. And I don't just mean like Figma is going to be how all the assignments are going to be done. I mean, like I'm putting all the course materials in Figma. I'm doing like all the critiques in Figma, just going to have people like share their screen and walk through a Figma file. Like everything's just going to be in Figma using the comment functionality, all the team and collaborative functions and stuff, uh, which I think is going to be good because one of the main things this course is trying to teach them is about like systems thinking and system design. And so much of that is just baked into Figma's interface that I feel like by just using it a bunch, you will like naturally pick up on a lot of things without having to be explicitly taught. So that's the other thing I'm doing is I'm just teaching it entirely in Figma, which none of them have used before apparently. So that'll be interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited to shake up my, my weeks a little bit, have a new thing to, to focus on. Uh, you know, suck all the, all the life force and energy out of these young children and then use it to power my yep. own life, you know, be an energy vampire, that kind of stuff. Hell but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. That's awesome. I'm very excited to hear about it. Yeah, I'm not even nervous a little bit. That's great. Though I do wish that, I don't know, I guess I'm a little nervous about Zoom. I've never taught remotely at all. It seems like kind of a fucking nightmare, but I don't yeah. think there's any way around that. It's just going to be a fucking nightmare, I imagine. So is what it is. Look- yeah. Ugh. I hope nobody I, in my just, class has a horrible dog fear because Sadie will probably be barking in the background a non-zero <laughs> amount of the time. Oh, I think it'll be great. You'll be great. Are you nervous at all? No. Not at all? No. I probably should be a little more nervous because I really put this course together pretty quickly. Like, <laughs> just kind of... <laughs> It's also like, you know, I think I told you last week, it's, uh, you know, it's a new way they're running this course. They haven't run it in the past. So I don't really have previous syllabi or assignments to uh, to go by. Right. But, um, but yeah, I feel good about it. Good. It's going to be great. Oh, and then the other exciting news, uh, no one cares about this at all, but I have to report back on it. Uh, so you recall last summer, we got that bed delivered and then it was broken and then it was going to oh, be delayed for a while. Uh, whole- apparently... The second bed is finally coming tomorrow, a full 10 and a half months after it was initially ordered. And so we can stop sleeping on a mattress on the floor for the first time in about yeah. a year, which is very exciting to me. Oh, my God. 
I can't believe you slept on a mattress on the floor for that long. It was fucking stupid as hell. And we had a bed frame and a mattress that we only got rid of because they were delivering the bed the next day. Like, great, we'll get rid of this bed frame and mattress. And then, <laughs> poof, bed delayed indefinitely. Uh. I feel like a lot of things in my life are in this weird limbo that is like, it's it's doing psychic damage to me more than I would expect. Like, it shouldn't matter that I ordered a bed and it took 10 months for it to come. Like, who cares, right? Right. How does that have any effect on anything? I just go about living my life. But it feels psychically like I just, like there's just things that are up in the air and in limbo and I can't fully like rest. Uh, Like I also, I've been building this bike for a while and I've got these bike parts that I ordered that have been delayed forever. And like that also is like a thing that's like half done in my basement. It just feels like it's in limbo and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do the, like, white wine thing of, like, complain about delayed delivery times on all of my, like, you know, expensive hobbies and home goods uh, during the <laughs> pandemic. That's not a, not, a, not a problem. I'm not, not, not suffering over here. But it does definitely have a bigger impact on my, like, feelings and, like, general mental state than I would expect. And I would have expected no impact on my mental state. But it actually feels like, oh, I can't do more stuff. I'm, like, capped out on stuff I can do because I'm waiting for all these other things to land, you know? Right. I don't like having the feeling of an incomplete task. Like, even if it's a small task or even if it's, like, an email draft, like, if I know that there is something that I have to finish, like, I kind of feel like my brain is a little messy until I get this. Yeah, it's just an unchecked box that is, like, floating over my head and following me around every single day, you know? Yeah, and, like, I'll keep it on my to-do list, even though I know I can't do anything about it for, like, a few days or a few weeks. And I'm like, ugh, can't wait to check you off. Well, dumb, dumb. Yeah, it's not my box to check even. I can't even do anything about these boxes. I'm just waiting for someone else to check them. Exactly. But theoretically, that box will be checked tomorrow. We will see. I'll believe it when I see it, and it's here, and it's not broken. Yeah. Boy, if it's broken again, it's going to be a real... Oh, fingers crossed. I might might, uh, cry if it's broken again. We will see. I know. (laughs) Well, set your expectations really low. I'm really good at doing that normally, but here I just can't. It's like I cannot go to sleep tonight expecting like, yeah, it's probably going to be broken again. I just can't do it. I can't I can't even address that potential reality. If it happens, it happens. I'll deal with it when it happens, but I just can't. So dumb. Well, I hope for your sake that it is not broken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh So you're working full time out there. You're not working any less. Well, I mean, I'm working Linda full time. I know Linda full time is a little different right now, but you're not. Yeah. You're working the same amount you were before you went to Desert Village. Yeah, yeah, just a few days a week, and and it's kind of spread out. It's nice. I'm into, I'm glad I have something to do out here, because I think if it was just like nothing but being in the desert, I might go a little cuckoo. That'd be a very different experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, have, you, have you been cooking out there? Yeah, I cook every day because uh, there isn't a lot of like convenience food. Um, I, what are you whipping up? Well, so when I'm cooking for myself, I think I'm very boring and I do the same thing over and over again because you just kind of like find what works and then you stick with it. I think everyone does that when they're cooking for themselves. It's pretty much how it works. <laughs> yeah. And like not having a man around means that I'm really eating on my own body's schedule and not like, like, oh, it is time for the couple to have the dinner together. It's like, so I haven't really been hungry at night. Also because I'm on East Coast time still. So right. I'll eat something small at like 4 p.m. And then I go to bed at like 8. <laughs> so I feel like I naturally have been 
not eating as much later either. I feel like I want a big meal around lunchtime and then I don't really want much except for like a little snack or something around dinner. And I'm like fine for the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. So like this morning or every morning I've been making uh, like a big breakfast. Like I'll wake up, have my yeah, coffee. Fuck around, have a Linda breakfast. Yeah. I'll let my, I'll let my belly get like nice and hungry and then I'll make, uh, so I first, I put <laughs> on. Giving yourself a little blue belly. <laughs> you just <laughs> tease a little, so, like doing a little, uh, a little breakfast edging. Yeah. So first I put uh, two slabs of bacon in the pan and then I use the grease to cook a whole bunch of kale and uh, garlic. And then I put two eggs into said kale once it's all wilty and that's my breakfast. It's delicious. You just throw the, you like put the raw eggs in the kale and like scramble it up or do you like do the egg sunny side up and then put it on top of the kale? No, I like whisked the eggs up. And so the first couple of days I actually mixed it in. So it was like a kale scramble. And then uh, the last couple of days I made like the French style omelet where you like turn the heat up really high and you like shake the pan uh, and it makes the omelet in like one minute. Is that the French style omelet? Omelets are one thing I never learned to cook because I don't really love them that much. And so I know it's like a achievement you're supposed to unlock as a home chef but i never really learned the well omelet thing. i feel like there's like the american omelet where it's like one big like you let the whole pan congeal and then you like put stuff in it and then you like fold it and it's basically like an egg taco okay but if you look up the like julia child french omelet it's a much more like quick delicate buttery thing and it's it's kind of like a scramble like it's basically a scramble but in a more uniform shape and it's delicious all right. I will have to look that up then. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to make. It's just always so good. I'm going to look it up right now and send you a link. Do it. Yup. Oh, Julia Child. I was going to do Ooh. my Julia Child impression, but I decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> she makes it so fast. It's wild. All right. Sending to Andy. What have you been cooking lately? Uh, Hillary has been on a big cooking spree, and so I've been cooking jack shit. Hillary's been making a lot of Chinese food. She made some hot and sour soup the other day, which I never think to make, but I fucking love that shit. I should just make it more often. It's like the best soup. So easy. Yeah. Oh, that's a video. I can't watch a video while I'm talking to you. I'll watch this when we hang up, and then, uh, and then I know, I, I'll I reply in a thread. For later. Okay. So I th- I th- given that you did it on air, I thought maybe it was a thing I was supposed to like, you know, do a reaction yeah. to, but... Uh, Anyway, well, cool, Linda. I'm glad you're out there doing your desert thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be a little boring for the next couple weeks. So I'm gonna be like, yeah, I did another hike, and uh, it was nice. At some point, I'm gonna start pressing you for you know deep personal revelations you've had. You know how you're gonna change the course of your life based on all this desert stuff. But I'm down for that. You you gotta like, you gotta settle in. You're still settling. You're still waiting for those things to come to you. Yeah, and also if there are no revelations, that's also okay. That, Ooh, hey, that's a revelation that's in and of itself. Revelation! Oh, I had one. <laughs> there you go. No nice. revelations is also a revelation, turns out. Yep. I'm going to try to go get my toenails done. Ooh. They're very long. They're that, very long. And they're that's not very desert back. energy, but I still like it. I still like that for you. Well, I got to have pretty toes because I'm going to go to yoga and stuff this week and uh they're so long right now that i can feel them hitting my my running shoes do people judge your toes at yoga 
Uh, they don't, but I sure do. Mm, I, I guess sure you have to look at your own toes a lot, sure. And I'm like, ew. A lot of hooking your finger around your big toe and being like, I wish that yeah. was painted a nice teal blue. Wish it wasn't yellow and crusty. I wish somebody had painted a little scrambled <laughs> egg on all of my toenails. <laughs> Maybe I should ask for that. Do it. Be great. Well, well, nice talking to you, bud. All right, friend. Have a great desert time. I will talk love to you next week. All right. Love you. Love you too. Bye.